Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for joining us. And we invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are and maybe how we can pray for you. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks for spending some time with us here online. I want to share with you what a joy it was to see the box outside here in the narthex fill up with all sorts of personal hygiene items for the homeless students at uh, Mansfield City Schools. And we were able to deliver those this week and just want to say thank you for your generosity. Even some folks snuck in some treats and some breakfast uh, items so just that the kids can be encouraged as they work through where they find themselves, but just grateful for your generosity. And then I want to remind you too that we are on October 30th joining the city for the uh, citywide trick-or-treat from 1 to 3 on Saturday and we will be on the front porch here at Maple and Linden handing out uh, hot dogs and potato chips and cold water along with some candy and so if you'd like to be a part of that over the next couple of weeks we invite you to uh, pick up a bag of candy and drop it off or, or let us know uh, email hello at lindenroad.church and we'll make arrangements to pick it up from you but it's just a practical way of blessing our neighbors I want to also say thank you for your generosity for the crop walk. We're still tallying it up. We have a meeting next Wednesday to sort of bring it all together and see how we did. But grateful that you can still even now uh, click on the link if you haven't and invest in this important ministry here in our community. And in years past, uh, the community's raised over $15,000 with the 25% remaining here for ministries like NECIC's uh, community gardens for the community meal for St. Luke's Point of Grace on Saturday evenings. And just a practical way, again, of blessing our neighbors, and not only locally, but also globally, and so grateful for your generosity. I wanna to share, too, just the opportunity I had on Thursday this week to go to Barberton and share in the festivities for the 40th anniversary of Christian Healthcare Ministries. I was able to be part of a worship experience. I shared some scripture from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. Just the idea that because of you, a ministry that now has over 500,000 subscribers nationwide and who are doing amazing things in the healthcare sharing uh, opportunity. Our friends at Heartfelt Radio are a outreach ministry of healthcare ministry. So I'm grateful for the time I was able to spend and the words of encouragement but more importantly, for the good work that they're doing, healthcare, their families. So we just want to pray a blessing as they begin a new season, a new decade of serving God's people in this way. We're in week three of our series, uh, Revival, uh, Stronger Than Ever. So let's begin with this question. What kind of encouragement does a nation need when it comes out of a national crisis? That's the question Ezra's going to answer this week as we dive into our study here in Chronicles. What kind of encouragement do you need when you're facing a crisis, a personal crisis? And that's the question that we're going to look at in particular here as we dive into where Ezra is going to lead us today. Let me give you just a little context to remind you that the book of Chronicles covers a 400-year period time uh, called the Kingdom Period in our study of ancient Israel. It's basically from 1000 BC to 600 BC. And it was during that time in which Israel was uh, ruled by a king. And Saul was their first king. And he didn't do so well, we know. But Ezra doesn't spend a lot of time on him. What Ezra does, he, he jumps right into talking about David. 
Because David was, uh, though he was human in his sins, he was an amazing uh, model for us in his heart. The author of the New Testament book, Hebrews, calls him a man after God's own heart. Two weeks ago, as we began this series, God asked David to build an altar, and so he built the altar. But first, in order to do that, David bought the field where the altar was going to be built, and then he built the altar, and then he also purchased the animals that were going to be sacrificed, saying that he would not offer to the Lord his God that which had cost him nothing. Next in line is Solomon, who was king, and we looked at him last week, and we learned about his gift of wisdom, how he, out of that gift, endowed an entire nation with an understanding. And by the way, how are you doing with your reading of the book of Proverbs? With today being the 10th of October, I hope as you leaned into Proverbs 10, you found some encouragement there. Or if not, maybe you'll look at it here in a little bit. This week, it come to 2 Chronicles chapters 10 through 13, and they tell the story of Solomon's son. His name was Rehoboam, and he was not a wise king. And when the people asked him to lower their taxes, he exactly did the opposite. He raised them, which then ended up splitting the kingdom forever. And from that time on, we talk about Israel being the divided kingdom. There were 10 tribes in the north that were known as Israel, and there were two tribes in the south that were called Judah. And throughout its history, 19 kings ruled the kingdom of Israel, and not one of them followed the Lord. And 20 kings ruled in the kingdom of Judah, and many of them did and, and tried to follow God. Now, Ezra, who is writing to a distressed people, right, he's looking for examples, good examples, to teach some uplifting lessons. So Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, majors in the kings of the south. So after David, and then Solomon, and Rehoboam, two kings whose names both start with A, the first one whose name is Abijah, he reigned for three years, so we're going to skip him because uh, we're going to go right to the second king that followed him, whose name also starts with A, and his name is Asa. Like most kings, Asa was not perfect, but he was one of the good kings. Ezra is going to use the life of Asa to teach us three things about the power of being faithful today. Asa is going to show us that when we are faithful to God, God is unfailing to us. He's also going to teach us that the faithful may have setbacks, but never full-on failures because God is faithful to his faithful ones. All that God has is strongly available to the person who is strongly available to God. Let me say that again. All that God has is strongly available to the person who is strongly available to God. And so we're going to see as we look at Asa uh, that his story is going to cover three of the chapters, chapters 14 and 15 and 16 here of Second Chronicles. In the first chapter, we find the lesson of a rout. In the second chapter is a lesson from a revival. And in the third chapter is a lesson from a rebuke. So let's just dive in. Uh, you can open the worship notes here and follow along in the scriptures. And so as we do that, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. We begin in about 900 BC. The king of Cush, which is modern day Ethiopia, was powerful enough to conquer the kingdom of Egypt. The country north of Egypt was Judah, which happened to be ruled by this young king Asa. So here in chapter 14, verse 8, it tells the story. Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin bearing regular shields and drawing the bow. 
All these were valiant warriors. Then Zerah, the Cushite, came against them with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. They came as far as Merishah. So Asa marched out against him and lined up in battle formation in the Zephtha Valley in Merishah. So if you do the math here real quick, you, you can figure out right away that Asa's outnumbered about two to one. Uh, he does the best thing he can do, and what does he do? So here in verse 11, he prays, right? Because it comes down to that. <laughs> then Asa cried out to the Lord, Lord, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you, and in your name we have come against this large army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortal hinder you. Verse 12, so the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. Then Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gear. The Cushites fell until they had no survivors, for they were crushed before the Lord and his army. So the people of Judah carried off a great supply of loot. Imagine that you're this young king. You're maybe 30 years old. And you get wind that there is a million-man army that's coming against you. Everyone under your care, every person you have, everything, every animal, every building, every field in your kingdom is about to be overrun. It's going to be broken. It's going to be killed. It's going to be ravaged or even stolen. You know, so what do you do? Well, you do what every person of faith does, right? You pray. You pray your knuckles white. You call on the Lord. Lord, Asa says, there is no one besides you to help us. Help us, Lord, because we depend on you. And what does God do? He answers. He does what you ask. And more than what you ask, he not only protects your kingdom and everyone you love, he gives your enemy over to you so that his army is destroyed and can never come against you again. It may have been this passage that the Apostle Paul was thinking about when he wrote that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all things you ask or imagine. Ezra's teaching a lesson to people who are insecure and unsure. They've been away from home for 70 years. They've just moved back into their land. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, you find out that other people had moved into the neighborhood while Israel had been away in exile. And they're not happy that the Israelites have come back. Ezra is writing to a people who feel insecure. And I think that's many of us even now. Even as we've come back out of the major effect of the pandemic from over a year and a half ago, we still wonder, do I dare go to a restaurant? Uh, is school safe for our kids to attend? And so Ezra is teaching a lesson here that our, we need to have faith and we need to be trusting God's faithfulness. It's what we were going to call the lesson of the route. And what, here's what I mean. Asa prays, and Ezra says here, The Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. So here's what the lesson of the route is. The lesson of the route is that when you call on the Lord, he will fight for you. Listen, when you work, you get what you do, right? But when you pray, you get what God can do. And we're learning here and being reminded that God can do anything. He can route a million-man army. He can supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, we're told. He can supply your financial needs, your physical needs. He can give you a job in the midst of the pandemic. He can give you a friend. He can encourage you. He can keep you from falling. He can lead you not into temptation, but to deliver you from evil. Sometimes he will let us feel like we're outnumbered so that we can depend more on him. The lesson of the route is when you're in a mess, be faithful to pray so that God can be faithful to answer. 
I hope you're joining all of us in praying for a miracle these days because we need one, right? In so many different ways. We need a cure for the coronavirus. We've got a vaccine, but there's still some three quarters of a million people have died from it. So if God can defeat a, a million man army, he can defeat a single cell organism. I think, can't he? Last week, as we looked at Ezra, he reminded us in chapter uh, 7 of Second Chronicles, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will pray, I will heal their land. So the lesson of the route is, if I will be faithful to pray, he will be faithful to fight. Can you repeat that with me? If I will be faithful to pray, he, God, will be faithful to fight. So what are you going to do the first thing tomorrow morning? I hope is pray, right? We know that that's how we need to start our day. The second lesson from Ezra comes in chapter 15. The route is over, and Asa and his men are returning to their homes and families. They're on their way home. The Lord sends them a prophet named Azariah to encourage them. Here in chapter 15, he says, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. So he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, hear me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For many years, Israel has been without the true God without a teaching priest and without instruction. But when they turned to the Lord God of Israel in their distress and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace for those who went about their daily activities because the residents of the land had many conflicts. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every possible distress. But as for you, be strong, don't give up, for your work has a reward." When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abhorrent idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had captured in the hill countries of Ephraim. He renovated the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, as well as those from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon, who were residing among them, for they had defected to him from Israel in great numbers when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. On the way home from an amazing victory, God asked Asa to make it even greater. And during the reigns of his father and grandfather, people had begun worshiping other gods, the gods of the Canaanites. People built places of worship to Baal all over this land. And Asa thinks about the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Asa sends wrecking crews in to tear down the pagan worship centers, and he commissions the Levites to refurbish the temple. The people are so inspired by Asa's leadership that they all flock to Jerusalem for a great celebration. People from the northern tribes started moving south just to be under Asa's leadership. And then verse 10 says what? They were gathered in Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. The third month of the Jewish calendar is late May or early June. They've come together to celebrate what is called the Feast of Pentecost. Leviticus 23 says that at Pentecost, the nation was to sacrifice a bull, seven lambs and two rams. And then verse 11 says, At that time they sacrificed to the Lord 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from all the plunder that they had brought. When David was asked to build an altar to the Lord, he did more than he was asked. When Solomon was seeking God's favor, he sacrificed more than was expected. And here we have Asa and his people. They make a sacrifice, and they do a thousand times more than they were uh, supposed to do. When people love God, 
they give to him sacrificially. Verse 12 says, Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their ancestors with all their heart and all their soul. Whoever would not seek the Lord of Israel would be put to death, young or old, man or woman. Man, these people were serious, weren't they? In verse 14, They took an oath to the Lord in a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and with ram's horns. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn it wholeheartedly. Their covenant said what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve him with all our heart, with our soul, mind, and strength. And whoever won't seek the Lord, well, off with their head. That's, wow, that's zeal for the Lord for sure, right? They took an oath, and it wasn't a quiet one either. There was shouting and trumpets and ram's horn. This was a revival. Everyone was rejoicing because everyone was all in for God. Verse 15 says, They had sought him with all sincerity, and he was found by them. In verse 2, the prophet said, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. In verse 15, what? They sought the Lord, and he was by them. The lesson of revival is, Seek the Lord, and he will be found by you. That's 2 Chronicles 15, 1-15. We all know we need a revival today, and I hope you're praying for that in your daily prayer time. How many people during these last 19 months do you suppose are feeling lost and helpless? like sheep without a shepherd. In April and May of 2020, the number of searches on Google for Is God Real doubled around the world. wonder why. People are seeking, that's why. And we need a revival. I have to be honest, when we first got the announcement of the lockdown back in March of 2020, I wasn't quite sure what we were going to do. But we pivoted and we were online actually for a couple months before we came back into the building. And that's where this platform that you're experiencing now today came online. It was not too hard to pivot to, but still it was frustrating in that time because how do we get people together? And yet the words that I've received, the encouragement, the emails, the comments on what it is we've been doing since, and even now in a world that's coming out of the pandemic, our online presence is more important than ever in terms of keeping people connected. Ezra says to us, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. This principle, this, this promise is for everyone, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, anyone who's alive today. Let me ask you, how many people do you know who need to know this promise? And then let me ask you, take it one step farther, how many people do you think you can share this promise with this week? In person, via a text or an email? or maybe a post on social media, because we know, even risking to say, you know, Fred, God promises that if you seek him, he will be found by you. Or maybe your friend's name is Sherry, and you could say, God is available to you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And maybe your friend's name is Bill, and you could say to him, hey, Bill, you know where you can find God these days? Check out our church online. You can show up anytime you want, and I promise you, God will show up there too. If you seek him, he says, he will be found by you. Here's an interesting little tidbit. Do you know where the concept of revival comes from? It comes from right here in the book of 2 Chronicles. You see, 2 Chronicles is the book of revivals. In fact, it has five of them, and this is just the first. Revival happens under Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah, and we're going to be looking at all of them. Ezra is teaching us that the renewal of a nation comes when its people seek the Lord together. Right now, many people are afraid still. 
They're frustrated because of what the virus has done. They're frustrated because of the issues of inequality and the political upheaval and the tensions that are still rampant around our world. And the only solution to any of this is knowing Jesus because he loves us. It's only God who can change the human heart. So Asa brings the people together for Pentecost. And it's such an amazing experience that the people come from outside the nation. They come from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon. And they really get serious about God. So this chapter ends with this comment. There was no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. For 25 years, there was peace. When you find God, you find peace. So here's where the deep dive comes into applying what it is that we're learning here as we look at Second Chronicles. And I guess the question I need to ask you is, will you pray for revival in our land? Will you pray for the revival in our city? Revival has to start somewhere, and why doesn't it start with us? So there's one more lesson I want to look at here from Ezra this morning. Chapter 14 was about the route. And chapter 15 is about the revival. Chapter 16 is about what we're going to call the rebuke. Because even though Asa was fervent for God in chapter 15, he lets the temperature cool down a bit. 25 years after the revival in the northern kingdom, under a king named Basha, he begins to threaten the southern kingdom. And so in order to stop the migration of his people into Judah, Basha starts to build a border wall. His wall isn't to keep people out. In this case, it's to fence people in. Chapter 16 says, In the 36th year of Asa, Israel's king, Basha, went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to keep anyone from leaving or coming to King Asa of Judah. Ramah was located about five miles north of Jerusalem. It was on the main road that everyone had to travel if they wanted to get into the kingdom of Judah. And if you'll remember, years earlier, when the Cushites came against Judah, Asa turned to God and prayed for his help. And this time, he doesn't. In fact, here's what he does. So Asa brought out the silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and sent it to Aram's king Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus, saying, There's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Israel's king, Basha, so that he will withdraw from me. Asa was once filled with fervor, and now he's being lulled by leisure. Instead of trusting God and leading his people in battle, he pays somebody else to do this fighting for him. And you know what? It worked. Basha withdrew his forces from Mama. You'd like to say, and Asa lived happily ever after, but he didn't. Instead, God sent another prophet to him, and the prophet says to him, Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a vast army with many chariots and horsemen? When you depended on the Lord, he handed them over to you. And then he says, Asa, do you not know that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him? You have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. Asa, when you're in trouble, call on me and I'll fight for you. Asa, what happened to your commitment to me? Asa, what happened to the covenant you signed? I'm ready to rescue you, but you turned your head away from me. Asa, what happened to your faith? Without a doubt, people, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture is this, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. So we have to be very careful to listen here. God is looking for people to be fully devoted followers. And when he finds them, he fortifies. He adds strength to them. He does great things for them. 
The lesson of the rebuke, then, is to commit to the Lord, and he will fortify you, Second Chronicles 16, 1-9. And what does that mean? Well, he will make you strong, and he will show himself strong on your behalf. Joseph saw this when God provided a way for him from the prison to the palace. Moses saw this when his back was against the Red Sea. Daniel saw this when God closed the mouth of the lion so he could live. Peter saw this when the angel opened the prison door. You will see this when you commit your ways to him, not half-heartedly, but fully when you say without reservation, all that I have is yours and all that I am is yours. We're told here clearly that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And when God finds them, he fortifies them, the scriptures tell us. He goes before them, he prepares a way for them, he brings down mountains and he raises up valleys. We know that throughout all history, God has been building a family, and it's a family of people, a chosen people, who have placed their trust in him, who believe he is a good God and is for them. God is building that family every day, and he's fortifying its members every minute. Our God has laser-like focus and x-ray vision that looks right through the flesh and straight into our hearts. Place yourself under his shield of power and protection and fortification by giving your heart to him fully, every day. When enemies come against you, resist the temptation to turn to the Ben-Hadads of your world. Turn to the Lord and trust him. Enter the battle with him. Just to wrap up here, it's simply this. God fights and he finds and he fortifies. That is who our God is. We need to renew our faithfulness in the one who's always been faithful to us. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Before we close, let me ask you a question. How's your heart these days? Is it on fire, fully on fire? Are you praying for God's leadership in your life every day? Are you praying for God's power to use you to further his kingdom? If God is asking you for a bull and some rams and a sheep, are you giving him 707,000 of them? Let's pray. Lord God, like Asa, there are times when we have been on fire for you and we are lighting that fire again. When you look around the world, we want you to see us. Would you pray these words with me? Lord, if there's an assignment you want fulfilled, choose me. Call me, nudge me. Lord, revive me again. Lord, light your fire in me again. Lord, use our church to bring many to Jesus Christ. Revive our city. Revive our country. Revive our world. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.